Gambling. It is the uncomplicated, record-breaking driver of Las Vegas and our economy. A duh. But is it maybe too uncomplicated? Sure, it creates so much money and so many jobs. But what should we be thinking about these newfangled, over-the-top slot machines that you and I see everywhere and cashless gambling and AI? Is tech a salvation or just a futuristic twist on sin. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we talk with Dr. Brett Abarbanal, an expert in gambling culture and ethics from UNLV's International Gaming Institute, and ask, has gambling become too fun? It's Tuesday, July 5th, 2022. I'm David Figler, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. Welcome to CityCast Las Vegas, Dr. Abarbanel. Thank you so much, David. And please, please call me Brett. Abarbanel is such a mouthful that I, I much prefer <laughs> to roll off the tongue more easily. <laughs> thank, thank you, Brett, for that. That is a, a, a great kindness. So, <laughs> um, so here's where I want to go with this conversation, just because gaming and gambling mm-hmm are so important to our community. It is our number one industry. It is the draw. It is, in many ways, what defines this city, Las Vegas. I mean, gambling and gambling devices, ways to gamble are just so everywhere. I want to talk about what we should be thinking about when we look a little deeper into our own community. So why don't we start with that basic question? Sometimes we hear it referred to as gaming, as in the the gaming control board, the gaming commission. Sometimes we refer to it as gambling, which a lot of people know what that word means. So what is the distinction between gaming and gambling? Excellent question. I'm going to give you some definitions, and then I'm going to talk about why sometimes we completely ignore these definitions and just say whatever we feel like saying. (laughs) So I'm going to start with gambling. This is in reference to games in which outcomes are determined, whether predominantly or entirely, by chance. So things like the games you see in a casino, a slot machine, a roulette game, card games like poker or blackjack, betting, and in which there's an opportunity to win something of value. So you're risking something of value on an outcome that's uncertain. And then the second one, gaming, this is in reference to games in which the outcomes are determined predominantly by skill. So this might be something like a video game or a chess game. And one of the same examples that I used in gambling, actually poker has often been argued as being more of a skill game than a chance game. Mm -hmm. And this really gets into some of the ways that these things can be conflated because depending on how you look at games and what's incorporated in games, sometimes you start to see these terms converge. Now, the reason that you see gaming continue to show up in different ways of defining gambling at places like International Gaming Institute, where our major area of study is gambling, things like the Nevada Gaming Control Board. And Nevada is not the only one. We see it called gaming in regulatory boards all over the United States and even some places around the world, is that 
gambling went through kind of this what we might call like a discursive shift. So this idea where we're changing the terminology that we use for things and we do it for a specific reason. Yeah, that's always been the thing to me, right? Is that, um, is it just softening it so it doesn't seem to be so bad or sinful or risky? I mean, so what's yes, that all about? Yeah. And you really nailed it. That's really the origin of why we started to call gambling gaming wow. really in earnest about this point probably about 30 maybe 35 years ago but it goes back further than that and a lot of it is tied in many ways historically to how gambling was viewed gambling is this sinful thing there's a huge stigma associated with it people who are gambling are getting rid of all of the hard work maybe that they put into gaining their funds the idea of getting rich quick is very much this the similar attitude and so we started seeing the term gaming start to replace gambling as a common term for gambling now of course as we get closer to today this causes a lot of issues with understanding what's gaming and what's gambling right the two definitions i gave you for focusing predominantly on skill versus focusing either predominantly or entirely on chance, means that they really start to cross over as we get into some of these, especially new technologies where games are very much a thing. Gaming is a huge community, the gaming industry. And by this, I mean games, not necessarily gambling games, is a massive industry that's far surpassed sports. It's far surpassed movies and film. I've seen some numbers that even suggest it's bigger than television, which is astounding to me. But human beings now consume games, especially video games and digital games, on a much broader scale. And so it requires a lot more differentiation than we've had in the past. Again, and by past, I really mean, again, you know, last 30 years or so. Sure. You know, your research over at uh, IGI at UNLV really does cover a wide swath of this. It <laughs> covers internet gambling policy and behavior, and then also responsible gambling, mm -hmm. which is the uh, kind of the shorthand for making sure that people who have problems or issues related to gambling don't get caught up or get you know, directed to the help that they may need. And, you know, in, in that regard, community relations. So let me jump into that. <laughs> okay. From, yeah, I know it's a lot of background. Yeah, it's so fine. from, great, April 2021 to this past March of 2022, slot machines managed by non-restricted licensees in Nevada generated $9 billion of the $14 billion won by casinos. And that comes from a source at the RJ. This is interesting to me because slots have become such an immersive experience lately and people get so engaged. How, how can you tell us um, about this evolution of slot machines in the last few years? What does it tell us about the evolution of slot machines in the last few years? One of the things that slot machines have really tried to do in the last few years is bring in those elements of gaming that weren't necessarily always part of gambling games. Slot machines historically, right, even going back to when you pop a coin in and pull a handle and these mechanical reels would spin, going back to, I think it was the, the late 1890s when the first mm -hmm. slot machine came about, to some of the more digital spaces, right? I remember when the digital reels first came out on slot machines. And like we often see with new technologies, there was a lot of resistance to this. People would see these digital reels spinning and say, all right, but how, how, mm, this I don't, I don't like this. How do I know it's really the same as the reels that I used to see? 
And then eventually people got used to this. These reels became more commonplace. And now it's actually incredibly difficult to find a slot machine that isn't a digital screen and a digital representation of the game. And they've continued to expand from there. If you walk into a casino floor, you might see those really huge screens that go up super tall and they have videos all around them. When you touch them, maybe it responds, not just the machine itself or the game itself, but the, the images that they have all around the game. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, you walk yeah. through a casino and it's hard to miss them now. Yes, it is hard to miss it. <laughs> so from what you've seen, what are the most interesting advancements in gaming technology on the casino floors? Is it these slot machines or is there more? I would say the slot machine is, is one of the more visible ways that we see some of this technology advancing, but we've seen it in so many more ways too. I think the slot machines are definitely like they have the most color and the most sound. So they're the most fancy, sexy way of seeing technology in action. But a lot of the most, most of the development that's occurred has been kind of behind the scenes. And a lot of that comes into things like cashless payments. So this right. was something that for years had been pushed by different stakeholders. A lot of them were industry stakeholders, but others as well, because individuals, right? As we move into a more digital world, we we don't use cash quite as much. We don't even use credit cards quite as much. I use Google Pay wherever I go. I don't know about you. Uh, I remember in December 2019, I went to Australia and every time I pulled out my credit card to pay, they would say, oh, you must be from America. I had an open right. name in my mouth, right? I hadn't said anything to them and they knew. So even, even not, not just some of these cashless payments, but all of this, especially in the United States, had been very slow moving. And then when COVID hit, that amped things way up, right? Remember the first few months of COVID when everyone was scared of touching everything? A lot of the viral videos that went around, these were people showing how they would, they were wiping down not only everything they touched, but packages that came to their door. That same thing rolled into how we spend money too. And this was something that came about, there had been about a, gosh, I want to say, three-ish years in Nevada, at least, had pushed for cashless gaming, mainly, again, from, from industry, but other stakeholders, too. And then once COVID hit, cashless gaming was approved in about three weeks. Right. So that leads me to my next set of questions. With these new sort of flashy technologies and cashless payments, et cetera, that make it more compelling to play longer and easier and spend more, is there research and discussion about gambling being made too fun <laughs> or too easy? So usually the question ends with too easy. <laughs> I'm laughing because I've never heard it asked as, is it too fun? Um, mm. In some ways, yes. There, I, I hate to say something can be too fun, right? I mean, that's, that's one of our goals in life is to enjoy ourselves. Um, I think it's a Mae West quote that says, too much of a good thing can be wonderful. And I've always loved that quote. But then when we study something like gambling in this world that we live in, you know what, sometimes too much of a good thing is not so wonderful. And one of the things that's been happening in our broader lives is this increased access and constant access to almost anything we could possibly want. This also applies to some of the ways in which we consume gambling as well. When we look at something like cashless gambling, People don't always, and this may change as we get more used to digital payments and digital funds, 
people don't always think about money in the same way when we're using it kind of pulled from an account in a digital sense, in the same way when we're holding cash in our hand. If I'm holding $20, I see that $20. If I bet it and I lose it, that's a physical loss. If I have an account with $20 in it and I bet it and I lose it, I have a balance, but it's not necessarily, at least this is what research has shown, I don't have that same physical reaction that I might have or physiological reaction that I might have when I've lost that $20. So that's something that we really have to keep in mind as we continue to develop games and to continue to develop payments for these games in the digital space. So this then takes us even beyond the casino floor. So we've talked about slot machines, we've talked about the way these are immersive. This continues onward as we look at the way that we can consume games and gambling in a broader digital space. Things like online gambling, things like video games and esports and how we interact with games that way. Going into some of my favorite buzzwords, right? Web3 in the metaverse. How are we interacting with games in a space where suddenly we're immersing ourselves in a completely virtual world? Um, So let's talk about the machines that hit the casino floors. There's gambling designers, machine designers. There are people who are creating new and interesting table games all the time. As you mentioned, online gambling, sports betting, it's all becoming far more innovative. So are the people who are designing these systems for consumer consumption of the gambling aspect, are they engaged in moral and ethical conversations about this topic of of potential impact on some of our population? I can say with confidence that there are some people who are interested in this, who want to create games that are fun and that are not causing unintended harm. I can't speak for everybody. I think that that is one of the universal rules is that we can't be universal about everything, but there are certainly, especially in the gambling game design world, there's been a much bigger push to better understand how people interact with products. And in some cases, this is a completely self-interested inquiry. If you know better how people are interacting with your products, then you can create a more immersive, more interesting game. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it really helps these game designers to understand at what point that might be too much? Are you having too much fun, right? Are you are you making it too easy for somebody to lose control? And those are certainly discussions that are being had. I, I know there are some game designers mm-hmm. who are trying to look into ways that not just with the game design itself, but also incorporate different things that we've learned from responsible gambling practices generally in a casino. So for example, one of the things that we recommend is that there are responsible gambling messages. This can include everything from reminding people about limit setting tools. You can set a limit to only play 30 minutes and then after that, have cut you off for the day. Or budgeting tools, don't spend more than $20. These are the types of things where, is that something then that can be built into the gameplay where after 20 minutes, a little message pops up and reminds you either you've set your limits, you're cut off, or if you haven't set a limit, maybe it says you've been playing for 20 minutes. Do you want to take a quick break? Uh, Those sorts of things can also be incorporated in. The question is, is there an appetite for that Mm -hmm. in Las Vegas? (laughs) Uh, And and I think part of that question is probably, do 
will consumers accept that or will they be in rebellion against yeah. <laughs> something like that? So, right. So that conversation is out there. And I think we both agree that there's very little of that right now mm -hmm. in the Las Vegas gambling scene. In other words, self-limitation on machines specifically for time or amount of money is not really a reality yet. Okay, <laughs> great. So let's talk about our, our government regulators, right? So Nevada touts itself, and in many ways, I think it's borne out by the, by the evidence over the decades, is at the vanguard of gaming regulation. When it comes to responsible gambling, there's always lots of discussion, and maybe they're not there yet, but I, I would like to think that as the technology grows, that that conversation is maybe moved to the front and not the back, okay? So that's just kind of where <laughs> I'm coming from. But with regard to the conversations that you have with government entities, especially any that you have in, in Nevada, do you think that, that it is a goal eventually to remove that population of individuals who just should not be gambling because of whatever mental health challenges they have related to gambling? Yes, it's certainly something that continues to come up. I, for example, I sit on the Nevada Gaming Control Board Esports Technical Advisory Committee, which is a name as long as one an academic might give to a committee. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, so just from that example, that's a committee that's dedicated to integrity in games. And even there, there's been push on things like a responsible gambling discussion, such that the integrity of a game is not just the competition, but also the integrity of wagering and with that, ensuring that we have consumer protection more broadly, which of course then would include things like responsible gambling. So I know that the discussions are there. I know there is some appetite. I would like to see Nevada push quite a bit more on this front. We have a very unique gambling population compared to a lot of places around the world. And I think that that's one of the reasons why, in addition to our tenure as a gambling location, why we're able to tout ourselves as the gold standard for gambling regulation. We have a mix. We have a locals gambling market, very similar to what you might see in a lot of places around the world. And we also have a huge tourism market which means right. we cater to very, very different cultures from all over the world. And different cultures respond to different responsible gambling tools, different responsible gambling measures in different ways. And so I think that if we focus particularly strongly on our local group, we'll be able to have a lot of success. And then as we look more into a more tourism-focused market, it's going to require a lot of dynamic work. We're not going to be able to do a one-size-fits-all approach for everybody. And that can be very difficult. And frankly, it can be very costly, which means it's not always a priority if there are other things that are going to take precedence for use of those funds. Yeah. And I would imagine part of the challenge in discerning between even those two groups is even figuring out I mean, look, I don't want to call it a secret shame, but we, we do know. I, I mean, there's no one in the gaming industry or gambling industry that wouldn't disagree that a percentage, some percentage, whatever that number is, is derived from people who probably shouldn't be gambling mm -hmm. because of the devastation it might be causing in their own internal lives, et cetera. We don't study that. So let me, let me ask... We, we know that AI or artificial intelligence is a part of the discussion now. Uh, there's articles that are out there 
that talk about AI's ability to utilize various algorithms to identify people who might be having issues with gambling. Um, is that part of the solution? Is, is that something that is going to be focused on? Uh, at least as we talk about the local population of people who are funding these big gambling wins that we see in the papers. Yes, and I think it's a hugely important part of it. As we continue to grow into this digital space, and even when we're gambling in person, there's still this digital space associated. The casino now, or a casino game, can capture information in the way that we haven't been able to do in the past. It knows about the different bets that you place. If you change the amount you bet, if you change the speed, right? If you're taking breaks to take a sip of your drink or something in between versus continually pushing a button to keep placing more and more bets. And so algorithms like some of the AI algorithms that we've seen uh, grow in popularity over the last few years, I think will play a really big role in helping us identify who those people are uh, that might be demonstrating some of these red flags, some of these potential triggers for problematic gambling. So this can include all sorts of different things. These algorithms look for a huge variety of different ways in which we might be doing things in an unhealthy way. So as, a, as like a base example, because we don't need to talk about all the different mathematical calculations that go into the algorithms, but something right. like if you've been betting, say, 25 cents, 25 cents, 25 cents, and then you go, okay, here's a $100 wager. That's a pretty big change. The system will flag that and say, hey, we should look at what this person's doing because this is a potential flag for problematic behavior. And I think that right. that can be an incredibly useful tool for businesses and potentially for others. One of the things that, look, this is going to be a self-interested plug here, but as a researcher, one of the things that we advocate for is for data to be made available to independent researchers so that we can also look into these things and help provide some of the, the at least beginning calculations and even more broadly into that bigger algorithm creation for how this data can be used to help people and help identify the ways in which we might deviate from what would traditionally be healthy behavior. Right. And I think we could leave it on that because that is a message of hope. And I really do appreciate uh, all the work that the International Gaming Institute and specifically you're doing over there. Dr. Brett Abarbanel, thank you so much for sharing your insights. I really do look forward to more conversations as we dig a little deeper into this very important industry in our community. It's my pleasure, David. Thanks so much for having me. And that's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Did you like the show? Did you learn something new? You need to go tell a friend. And also, you can go rate the show and leave us a review, which we read, like this one from Slots of Fun Vegas, who says, Vegas people interviewing Vegas people about Vegas things equals great listen. Thanks, Slots of Fun. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow. Yeah, you heard me. Tomorrow as we go daily with more news from around the city. Talk soon.
gambling. It is the uncomplicated. No, I didn't like it. Let's just go with what we got. 